always wanted to know who the best player was on tour simply because I wanted to actually work as hard. And then I ran into a, a little guy by the name of George Knudsen out of Canada. And I watched him hit the golf ball. I watched him with the white stance, taking the club back way inside, releasing the club. One of the greatest ball strikers I've ever seen. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the McKellar Golf Podcast, the Open Championship edition with me, uh, Lawrence Donegan. Uh, before I get to uh, my co-host this week, a uh, quick uh, reminder to go to mckellarmagazine.com if you haven't yet purchased your copy of the brand new edition of McKellar. It's uh, wonderful. It's an amazing uh, photograph of the cover by our good friend Wheatley Day in Hawaii. A stunning piece written by a brand new uh, McKellar author. I uh, can't remember the kid's name, but he's got a, a great future in in, uh, in golf. Uh, lots of great stuff in there. Uh, also, there's a new podcast, McKellar Podcast, coming. I think we'll start next week uh, call, uh, uh, with uh, authors from the, the magazine. We're going to talk to them about their stories. Uh, look out for that. But anyway, first of all, get to mckellarmagazine.com and support great golf writing and our lovely little magazine and this podcast by uh, purchasing your copy of the brand new McKellar. On to my uh, co-host, uh, it's not Jeff Shackelford this week, technical issues with Jeff, but uh, we've had a serious upgrade. Uh, don't tell Shackelford I said that, but anyway, this is uh, much, much better. Mike Clayton, how are you doing? Good, Lance. Very good. Yeah. You think Shackelford, will be, his nose will be out of joint when he hears that? Well, uh, well we, yeah, we, we went to the, there was a golf author's um, night at the, Hoy Lake Yacht Club last night. So we went and listened to Shaq talk about golf architecture for normal people, which was enlightening as always. Yeah, really. Uh, have you read that book? Pretty good yeah, book. It's great. It? It's yeah, fantastic. really. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah it's brilliant. Uh, I just I'd read it on the way to Sunningdale. Uh, so, or get on a flight to Sunningdale. I mean, there you go. I mean, then you get to Sunningdale and the place is overrun with dogs. Yeah. Have you got a few on dogs on, on golf courses, Cleats? No, the, the Australians, I don't have a dog, but Australians cannot get their heads around it. It's just, really? You know, Metro, my club, has one or two days a year, but they just can't, don't understand that how it works. I mean, you come to England, it's just, it's brilliant. The dogs yeah. are so well trained and it's like, it's never a problem. And like, why is this an issue? Like, just get on with it. Yeah. Oh, anyway, we'll, oh. Uh, we'll, We've talked about it before. Actually, I got a couple of emails. These slabbering animals, get them off my golf course. But anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, different strokes for different uh, folks. Uh, Clay, so we're going to talk about the Open, but uh, you're in the UK. Uh, you're, seemed, I'm following you on Twitter. You seem to be on uh, some kind of grand tour. What are you up to? Well, we're, uh, well I've been everywhere. We, uh, we came through America, uh, Fort Worth, Chicago, and then up to Traverse City with Mike DeVries to play Kingsley and Crystal Downs. And I came here, I caddied for Elvis Smiley in the qualifier, which he missed, obviously. Otherwise, I'd be working. <laughs> and went to, then I went to Royal Dublin. We're working at Royal Dublin. So I stayed with Colin Byrne there, who caddies for Louis Oosthuizen. Colin used to, you know, Colin used to caddy for, he caddy for me occasionally on the tour, a great caddy. Won yep. the Open with US Open with Goosen. And, um, and then we... Working at Addington, we went to into a place called Spay Bay, way up in the north of Scotland. And the, the, in this era, there's no such thing really as a hidden gem anymore. Everyone knows his hidden gems, and uh, we weren't expecting that much. Mike DeVries and I got to the golf course at eight o'clock on Sunday morning and walked down the first hole. And we're three quarters of the way down the first hole. Like this place is amazing, like this tumbling, crazy fairway and. So there are three bad holes there, but um, there's brilliant land. There's some amazing holes there, but it's way up in the north of Scotland. No one knows about it, so we're gonna we're not gonna blow it up, but we're gonna make it a lot better, and we're gonna make it reversible. You, you, you'll be able to play it both ways around. So that's a really cool job. Yeah, then we that's... Drove, yeah. Then we drove down. Mike and I drove down to via Southerness, we the southernmost. Scottish links had walked around there and got down to the open on Monday night, which was so weird. The, I'm, I'm here for the open for the it's my first open since 2015. 
We'll come on yeah. to Hoy Lake, well, Hoy Lake, Royal Liverpool, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I have never heard of Spay Bay. Is it Spay Bay? Is that what you called it? Spay Bay. It's up sort of... Never heard of it. Sort of an hour from Fraserburgh. Now, Fraserburgh, that, that, that's a great golf course, isn't it? It is. It's terrific. And they can build in the dunes, apparently, because they've owned the dunes since 1777 or something. And it's apparently, unusually for that sort of ground, no restriction in building in there. So... We're, um, we're, we looked at that, so it's um, but it's a very cool place. Yeah, it's where Hannah Green is from. Well, Hannah Green's mother's from there, so it's um, we we got we got a taxi from Aberdeen Airport and told the guy we were going to going to Fraser. He said, "Ah," he said, "What a shithole!" He said, "Drugs and fishermen." <laughs> oh, we laughed and we got there. Well, this place is fantastic. Yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, opinions are mixed on Fraserburgh. I'll leave it at that. Now you uh, came down. You went Southern S, great golf course. Plates. Um, I did a good story there uh, a few years ago. Um, you remember David Robertson, who was yeah, actually course, in, yeah. in, in this Open Championship week. Let's remember him. He was a guy who was banned from uh, professional golf, all forms of golf, for twenty years uh, or ten years, whatever it was, uh, for. <laughs> for moving his ball marker on the green during an open qualifier at Prince's. Uh, amazing yeah. story. And, you know, when you think about moving your ball marker, you think, well, okay, you know, you mark it to the, the side or mark it to the side and put replace it to the rear. This boy was flicking his marker 25 foot closer to the hole <laughs> <laughs> in an open qualifier. I earned him the nickname, the ball mark kid. Uh, anyway, David, sorry, I was just letting me fit. So, yeah. uh, he was banned, but he made his comeback. He was reinstated in, I think, 1990, whatever. I can't remember. And he came back and he played his first event. It was the Scottish Amateur at, at Southern Ice. And that was the one and only time. Of, oh, actually, I've been down there a couple of times. I played a game of golf there. Um, but, yeah, great golf, another great golf course. Not an exactly a hidden gem, but, you know, not frequent. Not It's not on the the beaten path, you'd have to say, yeah? No, it's not. But Spay Bay is the ultimate hidden gem, really. It's a ripper, so... Yeah, great stuff. We're, we're, uh, we're you, looking forward you, to working there. You didn't nip into Silicon Solway, did you? Another fantastic. No, I, no, we probably should have. That was not far away, but a long way across the water. Yeah, so. um, yeah. It's a, a really a magical, fun, fun golf course. The uh, yeah. the English Boys Amateur was held here last year, and it was uh, it was baked out. It was uh, just a wonderful, great members as well, please. I think, you know, the membership, you, you kind of go around golf, don't you? And uh, my views on golf courses are slightly shaped by the membership. I, I you know, I love Silith, uh, but boy, my goodness, once you add in the members, it's uh, just a great place to go. Yeah. Now I'll, I'll get up there next year, hopefully. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're down, we're at Hoylake. Uh, you're there. I, I guess uh, everybody will want to know um, the golf course. Well, can I ask your long-term uh, view of the golf course? Um, uh, and uh, obviously, everybody will, will want to know what you think of the uh, of the new hole. But the golf course itself, do you rate it? I mean, the list of winners, open winners, what is it? Uh, Jones, uh, Peter Thompson, the DiVincenzo, Tiger and Rory. It's a pretty good list. Pretty good, yeah. It's a, I, li- I really like it. Like, I think it's terrific. You know, it's, there are very few courses that have changed as much as Horlake has over the years. Every Every time you come here, the holes seem to be in a different order. And yeah, know, the, the first time I played there, the 17th hole, which is the first hole this week, the green was hard up against the fence. And it was a brilliant hole. It's not as good as it was. And, um, you know, they've they've moved the out of bounds in at the, the 16th hole, which is the last hole this week. And the new part three is such an awkward walk. I mean, the logical walk is from the 16th green this week straight onto the 18th tee. And you go and play the par three and then walk all the way back past the tee to get to the 18th tee. So it's a really bad transition. And it's a tricky hole. You know, it's um, if the brief was to have a hole that decides the open, it's not a brief I, I like particularly. I don't think you want that. The road hole is the best hole in the world, arguably, and it can decide the open, but it's a great hole. And it's, you know, to, to build a 130-yard par three that, that's going to decide the open is, by definition, you're going to make it right on the edge of being sensible or not sensible, and we'll see how it plays. But but certainly, it's a it's a one dimensional hole in the sense that no matter where the pin is, you're going to hit the same shot. 
So you take a hole like the 12th of Augusta, same length with a similar length, where the pin is really determines the shot you're going to hit. So when the pin's left on the third day normally, you can play at that pin. When it's right, back right on Sunday, you can play at that too, but it's not the smart shot. This one, it's like the seventh hole of Bamboogle Dunes, small green. If there was no pin in the green, it wouldn't change the shot you hit. Because the green's too small, I guess. Well, no, no, there was absolutely a place for par threes where if there was no pin in the green, it wouldn't change the shot you hit. I, I can give you, you know, the seventh at Pebble Beach is a great par three. Was if, if there was no pin in the green at, at the US Women's Open, it wouldn't have changed, it wouldn't have changed the shot they were hitting to that green. But the but the seventeenth green at Pearl Beach, when the pin's in the right corner, it's a completely different shot to the pin in the in the back left corner. So there are two there are two types of par threes. This is the the type where if there was no pin in the green, it's not changing the shot you hit. And there are and a lot of great holes that do that. Nothing wrong with that. So the but the point the problem with this one it's a it's a penultimate hole, uh, and that is, for you is that an issue? Why? I mean, for me, the issue is it's a bad transition, really. You know, it's a bad walk from the 16th tee to the 18th tee. You go up and back, and it just feels awkward. And it's, you know, let's see how it plays. I mean, you know, people are, everyone's got an opinion about it. Well, let's just see how it plays and see how it works. But it, but it's, you know, it's not exactly the hole I would have built. I, you know, the green's marginally too high, I think. So you don't get a clear view of the surface of the green. And, you know, I keep referencing the seventh of Barmoogle Dunes, which is in Tasmania, so lots of people won't have seen it. But it's a very similar hole. Tiny green, down on the left, big bank on the right, no good over the back. But you look down on the green, you can see it. And, it, you know, it's not going to come off the front of the green, back down into a bunker, or go off the right of the green, halfway down the hill into a bunker. But the Barmoogle Dunes wasn't decided to, wasn't built to decide open championships. Yeah. It seems Sorry. like it seems like if that was the brief, was that the brief? I mean, I've heard that story that that, that was the brief. It seems a bit, you know, we're, we're not talking about TP Sawgrass here, TPC Sawgrass here, are we? Uh, no. Do you really want? No. Uh, from what I understand, what I've seen, that the the, pe the penalties are very very severe. I mean, do you want somebody taking a seven on the seventy first hole of the of the Open Championship? Well, not if it's Rory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, but yeah, it, it seems an, an odd way. If if that was the uh, the design brief, it seems a kind of, a kind of odd, odd way to. It's an odd, yeah. a, an odd choice. The um the uh, is it true? I, again, as you hear all these urban myths, is it true that the members are allowed to pick up after they get to six? Is that true? I think they do. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. Mind you, there are plenty of well, it's a we're at Wallasey today, which is just down the road. We're working at Wallasey. Which is the home of, was it Frank Stableford? Yeah, you know, well, home, yeah, home of well, Stableford. Yeah, so once well, you've got six, you've got no points. Pick it up. Yeah, yeah. but that's the uh, yeah. Actually, you speak Wallace is another great golf course. Uh, Wallace is terrific. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, although I hear you're you're blowing not blowing up the the the, the downhill par five. Uh, uh, was it the fourth? I can't. I can't if it's the fourth or fifth. Anyway, oh, the fourth. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, the thing about well, the thing about Wallace is that. It lost a bunch of material off the fourth and fifth holes of sand for, for the war. The war took it away because they wanted it for whatever they wanted that land for. So it, there's a lot of great land at Wallasey that they don't use. So we've got a plan that uses some of the great land that's just lying there. Like, why aren't, they, why, isn't it, why aren't we playing golf over here when you're playing golf on the flat at you know, four and six and seven and 13 and 14 you're playing all that golf on the flat land but there are big parts of that golf course where you're not playing through some of the best land in the world yeah so you know i think it could be one of the one of the best courses in england because it's, the, uh, it's such great land and i think we've got a pretty good plan so you know i, I see a massive upside for wallacey massive actually i want to answer this clay so i've been saying this to people that you and I don't know if this is right, and you're much more uh, versed in this kind of stuff than I am. But you know, I look at the list of winners at Hoylake, and I think, oh, this must be a, a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous test. It, it, is the correlation necessarily that strong? You know, great list of winners equals great golf course. No, well, I think you can pick. I mean, you could pick examples of where you know there's a 
great course that doesn't have a list, you know, a, a list of, well, I mean, anyone who wins a majors, I mean, you could say, well, Andy North won the US Open at Oakland Hills. Well, Oakland Hills is a great course. Andy North won two US Opens. I mean, that's a hell of a career. You know, 99.9% of pro people who put their name on their bag wish they won two US Opens. So it's easy to take, you know, when Zach Johnson won at St. Andrews, well, he won the Masters. He's a hell of a player. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's very dangerous sort of line to draw between, well, you know, great great winners, so it must be a great course. You know, bad, you know, bad winners, it must be a bad course. So it's just, it's a very dangerous line to draw that one. But, you know, the co- perhaps it's coincidental, but Jones, great, Thompson, great. You know, Di Vicenzo, unbelievably fantastic. Tiger, the best. And and Rory, you know, who I think is the, you know, the best player of this generation. Yeah, I was just thinking of Royal Troon, Todd Hamilton. Again, I'm not saying, but the not the not quite magnificent golf course that can yeah, well, easily throw up an odd one, don't they? You know, it's Ben Curtis, but St. George's is a great course. You know, I think that's more a product of the equipment. You know, it's it's... The equipment got easier to use. You look at the, the opening in the 70s. You had Nicholas, Trevino, Trevino, Weisskopf, 50th anniversary since Weisskopf won. Player, Watson, Miller, Watson, Nicholas, uh, Belasteros, you know, and Watson 1980. I mean, they were the guys who could hit the ballada ball through the wind with a persimmon driver. And inevitably, when you got to two-piece solid balls that didn't spin in the wind and a bigger-headed driver, it brought more guys into the game because they could drive it. Guys who wouldn't have been as great as those guys were with a wooden driver, they were all pretty competent with a metal driver and a solid ball. So, you know, it's as much a product of the equipment as the golf course, I think. The uh, Not to pick on Todd Hamlin, but also the hybrids. You forgot about the hybrids. I mean, he well, won that you start putting with that thing, but Todd <laughs> Hamilton, you know, Todd was a, I mean, he, a good player. he was really yeah. good, yeah, yeah. But you know, would Todd Hamilton have won the Open in the seventies with a ballada ball and a persimmon driver? That's the question. And the evidence of the winners of you know th- through that period, all th- through the eighties as well, was that the guys who could really hammer that ball, that ballada ball through the wind off a persimmon head with a steel shaft, were the guys who dominated the Open. They were the best players. The uh, two things clicks when you well, I'm very impressed that you just reeling off the list of winners in the 1970s 70s opens. And what what a list! What what a list, yeah. clicks. That yeah. is, uh, yeah. I, I think I might have told this story. I, I bumped into Johnny Miller somewhere, and uh, actually, yeah, it was, he was watching his grandson playing at a junior event or something, an amateur event. And I said, oh, "It's great to meet you, Johnny." Blah blah blah. And I said, "There's one thing I've always wanted to happen to uh, ask you." He said, what happened to Seve on the final day at Birthday? And he just looked at me and he said, you know, I was quite good myself. <laughs> so- yeah. <laughs> well, he was. I mean, he was, he was, you know, that that four or five-year period, he was phenomenal, yeah. wasn't he, in the, in yeah. the 70s? Yeah. 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 Great and, stuff. And, and at the time, he was, I mean, all those guys, they were clearly one of the best three, three or four players in the world at the time. You know, and, and they just, they got there, they got that ball, and they just, having said that, from 70 to 73, they'll play the small ball, which was a lot easier than the big ball in the wind. Yeah. Uh, here, we'll crack on with uh, this week. Uh, a couple of things, actually, Clates. Um, really interesting yesterday. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, John Ram um, did a presser. Uh, and he, what, one of the very interesting things he said, he was asked if he would, uh, you know, did, would he be demanding or did he feel that he was... Uh, you know, in need of a compensation for not jumping to live, and I thought he, uh, you know, I thought his answer was was just stunning. Absolutely not. You know, these are the choices I made for myself, my family. You know, there was it was almost like the anti Patrick Cantley, who I believe is uh, you know rounding up a posse as we speak to try and you know get you know the guys who stick stuck with the PG tour. I thought uh, anyway. The, the general point I wanted to ask you about was Ram has really. Throughout all of this, is, is I think he has he's been an absolute superstar. I mean, we talk about Rory as being a true leader, uh, you know, the guy who was out front and all this the big live wars, as we'll come to call it, I guess. But Ram has been, I mean, a real a, a real you know towering figure in my view. Yeah, he's been good, very good, and and 
I mean, was it Chaston Hadley who wanted, you know, I should be compensated? I mean, surely he was taking the piss, right? But, um, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, I, I was talking to a guy today who works for the Asian Tour. Um, I don't think anyone has any clue what's going to happen from here. And I, I, you know, no one had any clue that the, the merger or whatever, you want, which is not a merger, I don't think. No one had any clue that was going to happen. And I don't think anyone's got any idea what's going to happen from here. No, I don't think anyone's got any idea. Uh, it's quite amazing, Clint. So you think about it. I was talking to somebody yesterday. Uh, here we are. It's almost the end of July in 2023. We have no idea what the 2024 golf season looks like. We have no, no. schedule for the DP World Tour. We have no schedule for the P certainly have no schedule for the PGA Tour. We don't even know if live golf is going to exist. It, can you imagine any other major sports league in the world being in such a state of disarray? Uh, no, no. I, well, well, yeah, just, it'll sort itself out. I mean, it'll go on. But you know, I, I, if you were, you know, if someone said to you, "What's the, what's the tour going to look like next year?" I have no idea. I mean, the the best thing that could happen from my world's point of view the part of what i come from is that they would finally merge the asian tour and the australian tour and, and give the best kids in in the southern hemisphere a decent tour to play on because the australian tour is dead really you know we've got a whole bunch of little tournaments we've got three or four decent sized tournaments but you know, we think the australian opens a decent sized tournament it's two million australian dollars i mean it's just peanuts in, in the real world but that's because the real world's gone completely mad I mean, $20 million tournaments are surely unsustainable. With no Tiger, I mean, fine. I mean, the purse has doubled from five to 10 million, say, roughly, when Tiger turned up. But the audience was huge. The TV ratings were massive. He was incredible to watch. He drew people from who didn't play golf to watch golf. Tiger's gone away. Liv doubled the purses. So the tour doubled the purses. There's no Tiger. I mean, it's all completely mad. Um, yeah, and 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 kind of unsustainable in this way. Actually, Martin Slumbers uh, talked about that in his press conference this morning, essentially saying, uh, you know, it's time to kind of, you know, let's let's raid this in a little bit. But the irony, the, the Open Championship makes a lot of money. What was the number you heard kicked about? Was it? I don't know. Well, I, I think I well, saw something well, it yesterday. Was, it was north of two, north of two hundred million pounds, I think. Uh, I'm not well. I'm not sure, but that level. But uh, even if it was, I mean, that is the irony's sole, co you know, commercially viable uh, entity is the Open Championship. That is it. That's where they make their money, and that keeps the whole organisation, keeps the whole show on the road. Uh, they've been com they've committed to spending. I think it's twenty five million pounds a year or dollars a year on growing the game around the world. Uh, they really do do the R and you know, do, does amazing things. Clates. I mean, today they announced the uh, obviously uh, they announced the African Amateur Championship. Uh, best seventy-five players, seventy-two players in Africa will play, uh, and there'll be an open spot uh, there for the winner. Obviously, Johan Rupert's back in that. Uh, another man who uh, yeah, who puts okay. a lot of money into golf, Johan Rupert. But the uh, it, it, you're right. I mean, Slumbers is essentially saying we, we can't afford to keep this up. I think the prize money this year for the, the Opens the, uh, has the smallest prize fund of any major championship. I think it's $16.5 million, uh, which is a hell of a lot of money, obviously. But Slumbers is essentially saying w we can't keep this up. If we, we have to balance uh, our role, we obviously want to have a wonderful Open Championship with the best players, but we also have a, a need to you know, grow the game of golf around the world. And believe it or not, I mean, a lot of people mouth that platitude. The irony actually does it. They are they are everywhere. They've got a new facility opening in Glasgow, uh, a public facility trying to grow in, in, in the inner city of Glasgow, uh, which has cost a lot of money. Um, so, yeah, I can see it. You, you're right. I mean, I think Slumbers is basically echoing what, what you're saying. But but what yeah. happens, Clates? Do players, I mean, do players accept less money? Well, they always did. I mean, you know, the, the Open, you look back at, they used to play the, maybe the Greater Milwaukee Open the same week as the Open in the 70s. The prize money in, in Milwaukee or wherever it was, was $30,000, which was, you know, the prize money for the Open in the, in the 70s was, 
six, seven, eight thousand pounds. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, it was it was way it was staggeringly low, given how big and prestigious and in our eyes the tournament was, which it was. It was a massive tournament, and and you assumed that well, someone won the open, he'll be rich. Look at the prize money. I mean, Jack Newton won. Well, when Jack lost the playoff to Watson, he won. He made less than five thousand pounds for the week. Which yeah. was, in fairness, five thousand pounds was a hell of a lot more money than it is now, but still, it won very much, you know. So, but, but let me put it like this, in Clates. If um, if the Open comes back next year, not that it will, and says, okay, we can't afford six and a half million uh, for a prize fund, we're going to reduce it to twelve. What do you say to Patrick Cantley? Uh, oh, I'm not twelve, but you know, you're taking twenty five percent off my potential income. Uh, you know, I'm not coming. I mean, what do you say to players who object to prize funds being reduced? Well, you know, the, the players who matter are all going to turn up. I mean, Nicholas turned up at the Open every year. I mean, he didn't care what the prize money was. So if Patrick Cantlay, good player though he is, terrific player, if Patrick Cantlay's not turning up, I'm looking out in the street out here at the, at the street in Hoylake, not one person out there, if Patrick Cantlay walked past, they wouldn't know who he was, nor would they care if he turned up or not. As long as Rory plays and John Rahm plays and Scheffler plays and Dustin Johnson and, you know, Tommy Fleetwood and... Tyrrell Hatton, and as long as those guys play, then you know the, the open goes on, and the open always went on. And the open's the open, and you and if you you don't have to win it to prove you're a great player, but if you win it, man, your your career is made if you win the open. And you want to play because it's the it's the most interesting golf of the year. So if Patrick Cantlay, for example, says I'm not going to play, well, yeah, well, so, so you don't want to come over here and play the most fascinating form of the game for once to prove you can play it you want to go and play the crap through the air soft green pga tour golf every week is that you know is that what you think of the game and you know grow up yeah you know? yeah yeah i think that's that's fair enough a very good point about uh chesson hadley and patrick cantley walk into a bar in liverpool you could we could end that you know yeah. Pick your punchline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here, I, we'll get on to the. Oh, actually, Clayce, I never. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. I, I, I guess I would. I would like to know what your opinion was if you saw the uh, the last week's uh, Senate uh, hearing and read some of the documents. Did, you, did anything strike you or anything you know, uh, is odd or, or? I was I was sort of on the road and I wasn't paying much attention because I. Yeah. Was there was there anything interesting that came out? Well, no, no, no. We we talked about it at length in last week's pod. I, again, I just I just wondered. Yeah, other than the general, you know, uncertainty, it's it's it's, it's mind blowing. Can you, can you imagine the Aussie League football? Can you imagine that? Oh, yeah, the season starts in three months, but we don't have any fixtures yet. We don't know what teams are playing. I mean, where they're playing. The uncertainty for well, for the people playing in it, for the people running the golf tournaments. And for the TV, the broadcasters, it's uh, I, I can't get my head around it. A billion yeah. dollar business uh, being so shambolic, quite yeah. quite amazing. I mean, I don't think I'm speaking out of school. When I mean, Colin Colin Burns' view was that he said, "Well, there are quite a few guys playing the Live Tour who have got no interest in going back and playing the PGA Tour. They're perfectly happy playing 14 weeks a year for 20 million dollars, and you know, Louis can play." The- the open because he's exempt into the open and he can play in South Africa if he wants and he can, you know, he's perfectly happy playing 12 or 15 tournaments a year. And, you know, Colin's quote was, he said, who doesn't want to work less and get paid more? Yeah. So yeah. I'm not sure, I'm not sure all those guys want to rush back to the PJ Tour anyway. Well, I, but again, the, here we have the, the uncertainty. Will there, will there be a live golf tour next year? I mean, when the whole thing broke open, I suspected there would not be a, a would not be. But I mean, at this stage, who knows? It's as I say, we keep on going back to this point of uh, uncertainty. Here we'll get on to the uh, the actual golf tournament this week. Are you looking forward to it, Clates? How's the golf course going to play? Well, what do you think? I mean, it looks a bit a bit too soft for my liking. A little while well, it was it was brown a couple of months ago after the heat wave, but it's got yeah. certain green because it's been raining over here. The weather outside looks beautiful now. I suspect the you know, it'll, I, I don't know what the weather's going to be like. I, I haven't looked at the forecast, but it, it'll be decent, I think, by the feel of it. So it's yeah, it's soft. It's it's well, it's it's not soft by soft standards. It's it's soft by Tiger Woods 2006 standards, which was amazing. So you know, it's always windy. It's, and the Open's hard to win. It's really hard to win. It's the longest back nine ever in the history of the Open. 
I did not so know that. So it's the and the par fives are much more difficult than they were. So 18 is a really difficult hole now. Nine, which was always the gimme par five, is the par four. So it's you know it, it, it'll, it'll be a lot more. I think Rory played the par fives in maybe it was a long way under par when he won in 2014, and no one's going to go close to playing the par fives that far under this year. Yep. Because nine's nine's a par four, eighteen's a it's got I don't know how many yards on it, but plenty. Yeah. So I think it's up it's up to six hundred and one yard clicks with uh, I yeah. think the uh, internal OB is tucked in a little bit closer by the looks of it. Yeah. There'll be a lot of bailing out to the left on that hole. The uh have you got a view on internal out of bounds? I guess the, the the conventional wisdom is oh terrible. It's you know, it's not an open championship, it's got uh, internal out of bounds. You got a view on it? I, I think it works really well. I mean, it was all the whole part of the original game at Horlick was how they used the out of bounds. I didn't realize that, that, that the, the Dowie hole, the seventh hole, the ridge left of the green was out of bounds, which made no sense. But originally, they didn't own that land. That was the border of the golf course. So it was out of bounds because it was off the golf course. So that's all gone. But I, mean, I think, you know, 16th, well, the 18th this week's a great part five. And well, the first hole is what it is. It's just, it's a scary hole to start, but it's not quite so scary as the third hole. But you're always hedging left to make sure you're not out of bounds. And every yard you go left is a yard longer the second shot. And, of course, every yard longer the second shot, the more dangerous the out of bounds is up against the right. So it's a, so you play it left and the chip's difficult from the left. So it's – so, you know, and, and if the practice fairway wasn't out of bounds, then it's, both those holes are a joke. You just – Fire at the green at the third hole and chip it over the wall. Yeah. So it, you know it's, it's quaint and quirky and old fashioned, and I, I think there's a role for internal out of bounds. In in places, because if it's dangerous going down another fairway, and yeah. you couldn't hit it down that other fairway unless you're aiming down there, there's no problem making that out of bounds. Just make it, don't go down there. Can't hit it yeah. down. It's dangerous. You know, and there there are occasionally instances on golf courses where, where you've got to make it out of bounds because it's dangerous yeah um uh, yeah that is a uh, that's and, sorry go on joe mcdonald did a great tweet he's a does really cool images of images of golf courses over here the, the out of bounds debate came up and he did this tweet he said there fixed it and rather than the practice story there he put a lake in there it looked exactly like the 18th hole at Sawgrass and the 10th and, 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 and some other hole coming around the other way. Well, you know, at least if it's at least, at least you get your ball back, yeah, out of bounds, you know. <laughs> so, you know, if, if someone put a lake there, no one would question it, yeah, you know. So, that, that's kind of my issue with it. Uh, I, I just think it's a, more of a theoretical objection, it's just you know, yeah. I don't know. You, you but, expect that it bounce to be on the perimeter of the golf course. I mean, yeah. it's just, yeah. But but each individual case, you need to discuss each individual case. You can't make a blanket rule. Out, in, internal out of bounds is stupid. Well, you know, the 16th at Hallex, one of the games, great par five. So, you know. Yeah. Um, um, actually, Clay, so how many times did you play in the Open? Did you play in the Open? I'm sure you must have. You must have done. Played in the Open nine times. Yeah, I played nine of them. Yeah. And uh, none of them, in, no, none of them very well, I, really. But, I, but it was fun, I played it right a few times. But you know, it was a, it was a cool event, really. It was fun. Uh, I hate to I hesitate to ask after that. Did you make the cut? Any, you I made the cut in a few, yeah. No, I made oh, the cut, right, in yeah, yeah. I made the cut 1990 and 92 and 86 when Norman won. So I played, you know, a few decent ones. But I, I started off. Steve Williams caddy for me in the first one. I played at St Andrews in 1984, and I pulled it in the left bunker off the second hole. And we thought we thought we could get out with a seven iron, <laughs> and and I got my got my four shot out with a sandwich, and that was an early lesson. So that week I made 32, 32 pars, one triple, and three bogeys, no birdies. Uh, so whose so, idea was that? Whose idea was the seven iron cleats? Well, it was a joint decision, but I, th I, th I think you can get out with a seven on thud into the face, thud into the face, thud into the face, out for five, one for six. Now, maybe it was, I can't, well, anyway, I made seven. Not, not, not a good start to my open championship career. <laughs> but, but I, I stayed with Finchie, 
Wayne Grady and I stayed with Ian Baker for that week. He was, he was leading after, famously after three days, which was kind of fun. Yeah. The uh, actually eighty four great great open championship. What was the best was, one you played in? What was the best one you played in? Eighty six. Well, that was the year Norman shot sixty three at Tunbury, wasn't it? Yeah, that was crazy. I shot seventy four that day and thought I played all right. Seventy three was just no sixty three was just a ridiculous round. It was one of those very rare rounds where no one could believe that you, you can. You know, there were days when someone shoots sixty two, and you can. Yeah, I can see how someone did that. There was just no way that anyone who played that day could see that score being remotely close to being possible. Only three part of the last and, di- and didn't birdie 17. It was just a crazy round of golf. Yeah. Uh, and he, and he shot, I mean, that course was horrible. It was a crazy setup. That, you know, he shot um, even part of that week. With, but he also got the worst of the weather. He got the worst of the weather the first day because he played sort of early, mid-early morning, which was the worst of that day. And then he played, he was last off on Saturday. And that day finished up being horrible in, at the end of the day. I think he had two drivers into 18 maybe. So so he got the worst of the weather that week and still won by three or four, three, I think. Yeah. Here, anyway, Clicks, we'll... Uh... Well, I'd love to talk to you about all your nine Open Championships, but I guess I've got a special guest, friend of the pod this week, a bit of a... Uh, you'll be interested in this a bit of um, you know history, um, real uh, you know the story of Tiger in 2006, uh, the great strategic round of golf, uh, great strategic performance in the history of the Open Championship. Well, it turns out it wasn't quite like that, but uh, that would be from our uh, friend of the pod, Alex Murray. But before I let you go, Clates, um, uh, who's going to win? Usual dumb question. Yeah, I. I... I would like Rory to win. I like. I'm a fan of his. I think he's a great player to watch. And I mean, and going back to the ball rollback, you know, we've we saw the U.S. Open where the last hole was a drive and a seven iron at 500 and something yards. We, we we saw the shot of the year last last week in Scotland. Rory hitting a two iron to a par four green. I mean, how great was that? I mean, when was the last time Rory? When was the last time Rory McIlroy hit a five iron to a par four? I'll, I'll bet he can't remember. And yeah. there he is hitting a two-iron, which was one of the great shots. You know, so it just, to me, it, it showed that the more difficult the game is to play, the more the better players are going to do, you know, win more often and do better and hit shots that you truly remember. So I don't remember any shot into the last screen at the US Open, but Rory McIlroy's two-iron to the last top renaissance, what a shot that was. Yeah, um, you, you just said it for me, Clayton. And it's the, sh- the, the shots that we will all talk about. I mean, the social media has been absolutely abuzz this week with their McElroy, uh shot. I mean, just astonishing. Everybody's talking about the trage. And I mean, pretty good shot. Uh, you know, a feathered bullet to a cut two iron. Pretty nice, uh, Clayton. Yeah. Stuck between but, a two and a four iron. Uh, yeah. You know, it didn't have his three iron. And, and he took a little ah, stunning shot. And everybody, you're right, everybody talks about it. Yeah, yeah. No so, one talk. No one's talking about Wyndham Clark's seven on into the last hole at LACC. Having said that, we had a huge fight on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, Clay, uh, me and Shackelford about the drive. You know, I, I oh, think he, well, yeah. Shack was on to me about that last night. He hit it three eighteen or one eighty six ball speed and whatever it was. I, I don't know. I mean, it was one of those instances where you, where you had to be standing behind the tee and see the shot, but. Anyway, I'm not having it. No pro in his life, especially on the final hole of a major, is moving a ball 50 yards. I'm sorry. You know, sorry. Certainly not intentionally, that's for sure. Anyway, I know you want Rory to win. I I guess everybody wants Rory to win, but I don't think he is going to win quite so far. It's worth, I think, uh, I think Scheffler. I said before you, I think Scheffler's going to win, uh, but for the simple reason, great ball striker, obviously, all the strokes gained numbers yeah. are all out there. Yeah. But uh, actually, I'll ask you this, do slow greens favour bad putters? No. Oh, that's interesting. No. Tell me why very quickly. Well, they're not slow for a start, but they're... Um... Well, relatively slow, Clay. So they're yeah, going to be running so, yeah. out. No, yeah. No, no, I, no I, I, think, I don't think slow greens... And you've got to have sensible... I mean, the, op- the greens in the open are always slowish because you can't have them fast because the wind blows the ball around so you know the greens are the greens are will be sensible and you've got to put well to win the open and 
perhaps it's I mean, you know we we, you know, we grew up playing at Royal Melbourne where the greens were completely ridiculous. You know, greens were fourteen in nineteen seventy two, so it makes slow play and it's just twitchy. And you know, I, I much prefer this speed at golf. It's fantastic. Well, I, I, again, I had a discussion with somebody again this morning. You know, made I made my point, my case for Scheffler, and they said, "Well, it's not necessarily true. The slower the greens, the better your stroke has to be." Uh, but I, I would have thought it'd been well, the opposite. That was that was Peter Thompson's view. Well, and he said, "Well, you've got to hit the ball harder. How can it be easier when you've got to hit the ball harder?" Yeah, you know, take well, a yeah. You know, but I mean, Royal Melbourne's greens are unbelievably difficult to putt because you were. You know, it's so difficult to lag the ball to where you can go up and tap it in, which is why the play is always so slow there because you, everyone lags it up to four feet. Mark, wait, mark, wait. Don't take forever. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the last thing the Open Championship want to do is start promoting stupid fast greens. But Scheffler's the guy I want to go and watch. I've never seen him play. So I'm going to go and watch him play and try and figure out why he's... Because clearly he's the best TD Green player in the world this year. And he's having one of the... You know, he's having one of the great years in pro golf. I mean, he's never out of the top five. Is he? It's phenomenal what he's done. Yeah, it's it's quite astonishing, and it just gives a lie to you know the aesthetics of the golf swing. We all talk about oh, he or she's got this beautiful golf swing, but you know what? Scheffler looks like an octopus falling out a tree, and he and he can yeah. You know, yeah. He's a a great stick, as they say over here in Northern California. Clates, I will leave it with that. Thanks, uh, you think you think Rudy Macro is going to win? I think uh, Scotty Scheffler is going to win. It's a cage fight to the death. That would be a, a fantastic two ball on Sunday afternoon, wouldn't it? That would be. It'd be very good. And yeah, and I think uh, Holly Lake's the kind of place that might might throw that up. Well, he, he, fingers crossed, uh, Clates, because I think the last time, uh, oh Rory, actually Rory and Fowler was a great final group the last time, and then the time before that was Tiger. It was, Tiger Sergio. and Sergio. Twi- or Twitty Bird. Tweety Bird. <laughs> <laughs> Tweety Pie. The famous Tiger yeah. text is made. Yeah. I, I've just fucked Tweety Pie. <laughs> That's really good. We'll leave it at that. Clay, it's good talk to you, mate. All, All best. Right. Thanks, mate. Hello to our friend of the pod uh, this week, a very special friend of the pod, uh, a Royal Liverpool Open Championship uh, related friend of the pod and a Tiger Woods 2006 Open Championship victory friend of the pod. Alex Murray, how you doing, Alex? I'm pretty good, Lawrence, yourself? Yeah, very good. I want to, uh, I suppose I should explain why why we got you on. Well, firstly, uh, Alex, you uh, were a long time uh, Teaching pro at Royal Liverpool. Uh, we moved to the United States in the, the early noughties, I think. Um, first, well, you know a lot about, about Royal Liverpool. What, what kind of club is it? Good members? Obviously a great golf course. I guess you yeah, enjoyed your I mean, time I mean, there. Yeah, phenomenal golf course and a great bunch of down-to-earth members. Uh, it's obviously got the Royal Tag, but you know it's based in Liverpool. And people, anyone who knows people from around Liverpool are pretty down-to-earth and pretty happy go lucky kind of group so um yeah it, it was it was a great four years i had there i was around the world all my life um started there john Hegarty gave me an opportunity there in 2000 and i i was there all the way through 2000 2000 i moved out to america 2004 and yeah there were there were some really good times there the uh, and of course you came back for which is why I, I I I give you a call. You came back for the 2006 Open uh, because by that time you were uh, coaching and still do coach uh, Rod Pampling, one of the the great Australian pros who uh, still going strong in the Champions Tour. Is he still with him? He still with Rod Alex? I am. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that was my early days with him. So I was assisting Gary Edwin at the time. So Gary Edwin has been his long term coach for years, and Gary was getting old and grey. Um, and basically I was the guy who basically was integrated into sort of working with Gary's players overseas in America. So I'd sort of be a support actor, as we say, and it took me all the way back to Hoylake in 2006. And, um, and it was, it was quite a, quite a time going back there. The, uh, cause Rod and, uh, Rod and Tiger had quite a long relationship. They used to play a lot or used to play a lot, a lot of practice rounds together. Why, why was that incidentally? Um, it two, I mean, two kind of disparate characters, really, you would think? Yeah. I mean, it, it first started and I think it was 2004, 
masters that I wasn't involved in with him. But um, basically, Rod was quite close with um, Tiger's caddy at the time, Steve. And he'd set up a practice round for Rod and Tiger for the Masters. And um, I think, I don't know, I think they played one practice round there. They got on pretty well. And Rod finished fifth in his first Masters that year. Um, and that was a lot down to Tiger telling him, you got to hit it here, you got to hit it there, don't hit it there. And um, so that worked out well. And then, um, I mean, I hear a couple of stories about it basically. And that um, Gary would often say that, you know, uh, Tiger really liked watching Rodney swing because it was so simple, so compact, and he, you know, hit the ball very solid and good distance and good control. Um, so it was always pleasant on the eye to watch. Um, but I actually think it was more Rod used to chase Tiger down and say, "Hey, hey, can we have a practice round tomorrow?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you must have been uh, with Tiger in, uh, quite a lot, of, uh, quite a lot of practice rounds. That would have been uh, really smashing. But the one I really wanted. Uh, talk about is that is that week at Royal Liverpool 2006. Famously, it's gone down in history as you know one of Tiger's finest victories, in, in large part because it was uh, he famously as, as Sean Martin, another good friend of the podcast, uh, uh, tweeted this week. Tiger hit just one driver at the 2006 uh, Open at Royal Liverpool. Uh, he could do it because he was in the midst of the best strokes gained approach season in shot link history. He had averaged 2.07 uh, strokes gained. Uh, around that that season, but it was always it's always gone down in history as uh, one of the great strategic decisions that this strategic genius Tiger had <laughs> taken a look at the burnt out Royal Liverpool and thought, I am not going to be hitting drivers this week uh, because I, I can win this with, with with no drivers. I actually ended up hitting one, but I can just um, two iron this golf course to death, which which of course he did. But that's uh, you responded to Sean's tweet. Uh, 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 I'll read it out here. I was involved in two of his practice rounds that week. Uh, Tiger hit plenty of drivers, but he couldn't find a planet. Mm. Uh, his approach play was still awesome. Uh, after each practice round, he and Hank, Hank Haney, his coach at the time, went to the range and, and, and next to us to try and figure out the driver, but could never, but struggled, couldn't do it. So he adapted his strategy out of necessity. Is that true? I mean, how bad was he hitting driver that week in the practice rounds? Yeah, I mean, he, he was just really struggling. He was He was hitting it a long way to the right. Basically, so and when he did hit a fairway, it was it was kind of high and very spinny, you know. And Rodney wasn't short, but Tiger was struggling to actually keep up with Rodney that day because Rodney could hit this, <laughs> this sort of low pacing one that would just chase out there, you know, and that that would go a long way out there on those firm sort of fairways. So that was that was like the, the first red flag with it all. Um, but I mean, Open Championships are quite unique. I remember Peter Thompson won three of his without even putting a driver in the bag, so he won five opens basically and three of them he didn't even carry a driver so um it may have been his strategy at the beginning of the week um but it definitely looked more like he wanted to hit driver on certain occasions i'm sure he wouldn't have hit driver as often as he as he planned to before he got there but with the course playing so firm and fast he didn't need to and his, and his approach play was so so fantastic so incredible just at this this little knockdown four iron sort of trap shot uh, all week during the tournament, but that that certainly wasn't the shot he was trying to hit in the in the practice rounds. He was he was trying to hit driver, but like I said, I don't know what the strategy was at the beginning of the week, but it, it certainly looked a bit different come the tournament. Uh, and on and on the range, same story on the range. It's just yeah. Well, I think the the most unique thing was there was only me, Gary, Rodney, Hank, Tiger, and Stevie Williams, and Rodney's caddy Simo out there so there were no spectators at all for the first 12 holes of the first practice round um and the second practice round tiger only played four holes anyway so it didn't really matter but for that that main one that first practice round um there was no crowds they didn't at that time we we teed off around about 6 30 to 7 o'clock i can't remember the exact time it was a beautiful morning it was that sort of heat wave week and um there was no one out there so it was so placid so so quiet and the interesting bit was was Tiger was struggling with the driver, but Tiger and Hank did not say two words to each other in the entire 18 holes. And Hank didn't actually say two words to anyone during that. During that. So Tank didn't, oh, Tank. <laughs> Hank didn't actually acknowledge any of us. You know, he just stood there and he just walked on his own, you know, didn't really muster up any conversation with anything. So I think there was an odd question asked and it was pretty much muted 
but um but yeah so that was the interesting bit is how they he wasn't trying to fix it with his coach during the round which i thought was quite interesting obviously he wanted to try and figure it out himself and then they went on the range and yeah they did what a normal sort of coach player would do they try and figure it out more and there was a lot more conversation then and you know you could tell there was you know some kind of frustrations with it still uh yep. and it, again his swing was so good with his irons i'm you know you don't really look for swing problems there you know that nike driver of the time was a bit suspect you know the fact that tiger did as well as he did with some of that nike equipment just is a testament to just how great a champion he's been all these years there was a big debate um that came after your tweet about the nike equipment at the time could you remember was it the sumo it wasn't certainly wasn't the sasquatch i think the sasquatch was the uh, square-headed one wasn't it um but the uh can you remember exactly what driver it was that nike i mean i I mean I've got this image. I could probably go back. There's a, I've got a bunch of photos there. I could probably go back and find one and tell you exactly. But I've got this image of it being that sort of dark blue one with like a very yeah. hollow hollow sort of sound. I don't think it was the sort of Sasquatch or Sumo one, which had some of the yellow sort of paints on it. That, I don't have any vivid memory of that. I, I think it was like that dark blue one around that, around that sort of era. The uh, it does say so. You're a big, a big student of the game, Alex. Obviously, it d- does say something that uh, just about the adaptability of these great, great players. That, I mean, imagine you talked about Peter Thompson earlier. The, you know, having the, the guts, the balls to go and play a, a major championship and making the decision, I will, I, I will not hit driver because I can't hit it straight. I mean, it really it does say something about Tiger that week. Yeah, and just knowing that the bunkers are, are like water hazards. Hoy Lake, um, similar to Lytham and places like that. Yeah, they're going to be even harder this year. I heard how they've sort of they've adjusted them so that there's no up slopes in the bunkers. So the yeah. furthest someone's going to be able to advance the ball is literally 100 yards. So it'll be interesting stats as to how many people hit a green from a fairway bunker this week. And it might be zero. It might be as much as that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Tiger figured out, just like Peter Thompson, Peter Thompson always used to tell Rodney and, you know, in the British Open, you've just got to avoid the bunkers. Um, and, and Hoylake's certainly one of those golf courses where, you know, you go in one of those pot bunkers and you're, it's basically you're coming out sideways or barely forwards or sometimes not even at all. Yeah. 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 And, and as I say, to have the, I agree, the, 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 the mental strength, that kind of mentality to, to recognize the weakness and, and deal with it in a quite a, quite a, a forthright way I mean to take the driver out of the bag I guess that week Tiger was helped by the fact that the golf course was running so hard but say this week could somebody do the same could somebody take the driver out of the bag if they're not hitting properly and uh, still win I, I don't know this week because it's this is going to be the second longest British Open venue um, after Carnoustie I believe um, two Carnoustie's ago yeah uh, so it's going to play long it's, it's they're going to have some damp weather there they've had some damp weather recently last week so the, the cause is not going to be anywhere near as fiery as certainly 2006 and even even the last one that Rory won um, but um, but yeah I feel, I feel like if someone can always be coming from the fairway and not coming from the sand you know regardless how far back they are a lot of the greens you can bounce the ball in so you know, even if you're coming in with a five iron or six iron that might be better than wedging out of a bunker and you know, challenging, but but the game's changed even since 2006. Everybody's a bit more gung ho. The shot data basically says, "Smash driver, go deal with it." Um, I mean, that's a little bit different on some of these British courses compared to some of the American ones to play in week in, week out. But but back to the adaptability. Yeah, I feel like with Tiger, he was obviously the greatest player we've ever seen in our generation. I never got to see Jack Nicholas. I'm sure, he was pretty adaptable as well. But uh, you know, an interesting. Thing that Stevie Williams told us um, over lunch one time when we we're just sitting there, what you sort of do on, on the road is that he, he claims that Stevie Will, that Tiger basically um, sliced the ball home for at least five of those majors that he won on the back nine. So he basically he had a shot that he could just always put in play, and it was it worked in his favor because when Tiger was at the top of the leaderboard, which he was, um, everybody who got close to that leaderboard seemed to fall back very quickly. So he didn't need to shoot five under on a back nine sort of win those he just needed to sort of hang on to what he already had but but that's again another 
sort of example of how a great player like Tiger would adapt. You know, he'd find a shot to put the ball in play to get the job done. I think Nicholas said the same. He said in his era, you know, you didn't have to sort of win the majors. You had to not lose them when, you, when you're at the front. You have to sort of just find a way of getting it done. So, see, just to, finally on that uh, 2006 week, when you saw him hitting it like that early, the driver hitting it like the driver like that early in the week, did you? Use, I, I'm still guessing you're not writing Tiger Woods off, are you? Are you, are you looking at this going, oh my god, he can't hit the middle of the face, he can't no, find no. it? Totally, I, I totally had no chance that week. Yeah. Oh really? <laughs> well, I, did, I, I mean, you, know, you get him on the par threes and he hit these lovely irons and stuff like that, but um, but yeah, I mean, he hit so many offline that. You know, you wouldn't think he would go to that game plan of hitting four irons off the tee because I think that was the club he hit mostly off the tee. I didn't see him hit too many three woods. Um, in fact, the best driver he hit in the practice was a was a driver off the deck that he hit to about twelve feet on the one of the the, the par five. I don't know. We used, I think we used to play it as the fourteenth at Holly Lake, so it probably would have been uh, a bit about the sixteenth, maybe or the fifteenth or something in the tournament the way they route it. But um, but yeah, yeah, driver off the deck to about ten feet. Just couldn't hit one off the tee. <laughs> very good. Here, uh, you now, Alex. Uh, I'll let you go. But you've been in a very privileged position over the year again with Rod and and Tiger playing together a lot in, pra- in practice days. I mean, I guess the question I, I would want to ask is, you know, it must have been awesome. What was it like being that yeah, close? It was, it was great, and I was. Very early on in my learning, sort of working on the tour and stuff, and coaching on the tour. So to have a ringside seat to just that those levels of players and, you know, being able to ask questions and then, you know, those guys willing to answer them. Um, yeah, there's just, you know, just so much knowledge that you that you sort of gather up over the years from Tiger, Ernie, Phil, all of those guys. You know, they were, and they were all very open with their answers. You know, you ask them good questions, they're not afraid to answer them. They're, they're just human beings kind of weird how once you're around them a lot you don't, you don't really look at them as superstars anymore you just you, you're still in awe of them but n- not in the same way you are when when you were the other side of the ropes you just you know the, you just be a sort of normal day again the, the kind of knock or the the, the line on tiger is he, he was famously or infamously stingy with uh passing on his information so you you, you never found out with him and i guess no. rodney didn't either no i mean you don't bombard them with with questions but you know so you have a sometimes you have a couple of questions ready to ask them knowing that there's an opportunity you know and they'll give you an answer and um you know if the answer is fairly straightforward you sort of leave it at that which a lot of them are a lot of them were um but um yeah you're not bugging them on every shot what's this what's that what do you do here what do you do that but the, the the you know you pick your opportunities and you know he's 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 always been welcome to answer them, from from, yeah, my, I, from my experience anyway. Yeah, I remember you once tell, explained to me how much Tiger was talking to you about how much mirror work he did. This is one for the golf swing nerds, I guess. Well, well, um, but he, Tiger did a huge amount of, of mirror work, you know, just standing in front of a mirror, checking his grip, the fundamentals and all that. But what a difficult question, and I didn't prep you for this, but what, what do you think is the, the best thing or the most – you know, worthwhile thing you, you learn from that proximity to Tiger over the years? Um, I think one of the questions I asked him was he was, he was he'd always make a lot of rehearsals, practice swings, not necessarily a consistent amount. And one of the questions I asked him was, you know, when, you, when you're making these rehearsals and when you're swinging, you know, are, are you thinking a lot about the shot? Are you, you know, are you just seeing the shot or are you thinking about something technically? You know, he said he's, he says he's always thinking something technically. You know, and he said that being the ball is bullshit. <laughs> Pardon my <laughs> um, You know, he basically just said he's got to he's got to tell his body what to do, and and I, again, he didn't over elaborate on that. Um, I would speculate again that a lot of the uh, rehearsals he's having are very relative to the shot he's going to hit, probably combined with from watching him over the years, probably combined with something that he's working on. Uh, so it could be something technically he's working on sort of balance with something to hit the shot, you know, the trajectory, the, the curvature or something. So, um, but, but he, he always, 
said he, he told his body how to move. So, yeah, the uh, it was just the I, I think the greatest ever. Uh, I'm extremely jealous that you, uh, you you got to be up close at, at his absolute peak. I mean, that 2006 performance, even though. Uh, you 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 certainly didn't fancy him to win it that week. That 2006 performance, one of the greatest. Uh, even if it was the the strat the strategy was almost by accident. Uh, fa- yeah, fantastic uh, player. What an influence on golf. Uh, you're a very lucky guy to have uh, to been up close to him like that. Uh, good. Uh, and maybe that your your story will just change a little bit the way the history of. Uh, of that 2006 Open is written. I think uh, it's always great to get the the truth, the absolute truth. Um, so thanks for that, Alex. I'm not going to let you go, though. Uh, Liverpool guy, Royal uh, uh, Liverpool guy, um, who you guys tell me who you, who you fancy for this week and, and why? Oh, Tommy. Tommy Fleetwood. Well, first he's an Evertonian. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so that's what happens when you come from Liverpool, you support Everton. So... You know, uh, if you if you come from New Zealand, Austria, or someone like that, you support Liverpool. Um, so obviously the TV is not showcasing too many Evertonians because it's full of tourists this week. Yeah, uh, very good. So so Tommy Fleet, well, that's the Evertonian first reason. Secondly, just an all round great professional, great guy, very down to earth, great family guy. Um, um, thirdly, you know he's from the area. Um, and fourthly, I think he deserves um, a chance to come down the 18th um, with a ch- with an opportunity to win it because I think he finished he's finished second a couple of times um, in majors. He was he played in the last group with Shane Lowry when Shane Lowry won. You know when he was the the hometown hero, um, and he shot seven on the last round in the Scottish last week. So I think everything's lined up for him, other than the fact that I probably just jinxed him. So. Yeah. <laughs> and his daddy's, his daddy's a great guy as well. So. The uh, that would be uh, storybook stuff, Alex. Uh, you've almost kind of talked me into that. Uh, yeah, just my only concern with Fleetwood is that uh, you know, does he have it up? Does he have it in the chest there? Does he have the mental fortitude? Well, uh, you never know. You never know. Yeah. But he's had he's had experience um, in majors to to make that next step. I think. Anyway, Tommy Fleetwood, there you go. If you haven't spent all your money on Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy, stick a few quid on Tommy Fleetwood, Alex Murray's tip, a uh, tip of a lot of people. I've, I've got him down as my kind of outside bet, Alex. Anyway, listen, great to talk to you, Alex. Great to hear uh, about 2006 with Tiger. Uh, as I said before, you're a very lucky guy. Uh, now, I'll get back to your studio. Uh, I might try and book a lesson if your lesson book is... Uh, no. Got, no. <laughs> Well, actually, one, one, other, one other little side note, another highlight connection is um, the other one I want people to look out for just because he's a, he's a home lad there is a lad called Matthew Jordan. So Matthew Jordan was actually part of my Sunday junior group when I was at Hoylake. And he would have only been six, seven, eight years of old at the time. But you could tell he was a, he was a standout amongst other juniors even then. And he comes from a great golfing family. His, his dad and his uncle, um, I think, were both county champions and mums in England international and his his grandpa I think played cricket for England just a great sporting family and 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 great to see him qualify for the open so um that's his home course although the course always plays different in a major than when you play week to week but um but obviously great to see him do well hopefully yeah good shout Alex Matthew Jordan saw him at the 2017 Walker Cup he is in the first group again the RNA gets his stuff right you know Matthew Jordan I think he's going to hit the first shot of the 2023 Open Championship so we'll all be watching it for that all the best mate talk to you soon thanks pal take care
touch you, then I'll